Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Good pace. Are you serious? Oh, my goodness! Glorious and free! We're storming the 18th green now. They just tackled Adam Hadwin, by the way, who was trying to approach his friend. Security did, not knowing that's exactly who it was. But Canada has a conquering hero. The crowd support was the most unbelievable thing I've probably ever experienced in my life. Um, to kind of break that curse, if you want to call it, is uh, I'm pretty speechless. I, I, I don't, I don't think it's going to sink in for quite some time. What, uh, what happened today? Go oh, Canada, baby! The golden putt. Where were you mm. when Canadian sports lore was written yesterday? A real heritage moment. It Get sure the photoshops was. ready. That's a real one. What an incredible weekend for the Canadian Open. Nick Taylor did it, baby. I'm still kind of goof. Like, I feel goofy this morning because of what we saw yesterday. Mm-hmm. I haven't really sunk in. It's been, what, 12 hours? There was also a mishap, an early mishap. <laughs> we had a tough start to the, to the week. Justin and I are sitting here getting excited, getting ready to get on the show about 20 minutes ago, and I tipped over a large piping hot coffee all over the desk mm-hmm. on my laptop on my body another heritage moment yeah it was all over the everything's working but if i just cease to make noise sometime it's because the water and the coffee have mm-hmm. mixed into the electrical systems but we're good we're on the air we're so good that, yeah that coupled with nick taylor like there's a bit Too of a different excitement. vibe this morning a lot of loopy loopiness and we have loopy a wonderful excitement. In turn, joining us. With, like, a really great Canadian name, too. Alain. This is my <laughs> French. Why did you pause? Because I was nervous. And he just witnessed that. The first impression yes, I make is pouring he did. coffee all over me. I swear we're b- bigger pros than that. What an exciting... So, welcome exciting, to Alain. Yes. Well, well, welcome to the show, Al. Here we are. I'm feeling better. I'm, I think the coffee's seeping into my bloodstream through my mm-hmm. skin. Um, we're ready to rumble. a different way to intake, but it still works. <laughs> we're same. ready to rumble. The Canadian Open, um, a bit the biggest win for them in terms of an incredible storyline. You could not have scripted Saturday, Sunday, I guess Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday any better than seeing what we saw with Nick Taylor in the playoff, multiple overtimes mm-hmm. against Fourth Tommy overtime. Fleetwood. I guess the only thing this could have been sweeter is if it was against like Rory. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood's pretty good. It might you might have needed Tommy Fleetwood there because Tommy Fleetwood is like historically a bit of a choker. Mm. So it's not like Nick Taylor. It's not like you're overcoming. It's not like he wasn't capable of overcoming a Rory McIlroy in the moment. But like I think there was nervousness between both of them, and Tommy Fleetwood certainly showed it. But I think Nick Taylor was kind of showing it as well. There were mm. some squirrely shots in that playoff. Like it those guys wild. were trying to hand it to each other. Tommy Fleetwood got lucky. We'll go through all of it. Yeah. But, like, there were some squirrely shots. It looked like the nerves was going, the rain coming down, a lot of pressure, 69 years. But eventually it was not about, you know, uh, it wasn't even about shot making or just making par or making a mistake or whatever, making a birdie the normal way. It was like <laughs> a miracle putt it was. of over 70 feet that got it done. And I don't know what would have happened if it didn't go in. Uh, but it felt like it needed that sort of moment where it was just like beyond expectation. And that's exactly what we saw with that 70-foot putt. Okay, the 70-foot putt, let's start with that because 72-foot, six-inch eagle putt. 
I would just love to even quadruple putt that in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know honestly, me. honestly, you might have needed six there. I Based on how you putted over the last couple of weeks, if I could, 70 feet. I'm going to Michael block this. If I could just putt like both of them. I mean, Tommy <laughs> Fleet was putting was dialed. He was the best yeah. putter in the entire, the entire weekend. But if I could putt like them, I'd be LPGA, just and like ta- Michael Block. Taylor was hitting, like, let, like forget the four overtimes, but he was hitting putts everywhere, knocking them they down at every turn. I mean, he did open the Canadian Open with a three over 75. He had to make up 20 shots. It's incredible. Over three rounds, and then he had to eagle another hole in the playoffs. So he had to absolutely score nonstop. And the only way to score on the PGA Tour is to just basically not miss putts, which is what Nick Taylor was doing throughout the entire tournament. Okay, so walk me through the 72-foot putt because I'm not, I'm watching thinking... Me walk you? Well, I, your emotions because I don't think everyone well, thought I, that he was going to drain the 72-foot putt for Eagle to win, but there was like this part of my brain watching it was like, this would be pretty... I, I don't even know how I would... Re- how would you react? How would the fans react? And you're watching it and I'm seeing Tommy Fleetwood in the background and he's he's walking a bit like when someone shoots a putt, you can move a bit and then he kind of stops. It's like he was realizing the moment mm-hmm. might actually happen and obviously we heard all the call for the putt was incredible but you're watching the ball and you're just watching it get closer and closer and you start thinking no way like this isn't this isn't really we're not going to actually witness this fairy tale moment and it goes in and then it's just absolute chaos and scenes and the putter flip and the tackle like so much happens in this 20 second span from when the the ball moves from his putter into the hole. It honestly felt like you were having an outer bo- out of body experience watching this moment happen. It was absolutely the most incredible way. Completely different if he has like you know a four putt, and Tommy Fleetwood misses. Like yeah, he had I, I the think moment. What, I think what you're hoping there. I think anyone realistically would be hoping that he can just walk up and tap it in. Yeah. And then you're putting pressure on the putt for Fleetwood, right? Mm-hmm. Like that would be the best case scenario. Not the worst case, but if you give it, if you seed over. Uh, the the order, mm-hmm. and you go back to Fleetwood, and Fleetwood has a chance to knock down a putt, and then you have to make it. That's kind of the worst case scenario because he was in the driver's mm-hmm. seat. He was on in two. Fleetwood was on there with like no gimme in terms of a, a birdie putt, so he was definitely in control. It was just like have a great lag putt, and you're probably going to win the tournament despite all the putts. That but to do it on Tommy an eagle Fleetwood was making, feet, it's... but to just leave no doubt to not give yourself that oh I have to stand over this four footer and put it in like that would have been off a little uncomfortable. So it, not that he needed it again. But it was like such a release and mm-hmm. such a moment. It and this is we're just, you know, we're talking about moments and moments in Canadian sports history. I mean, that was more of a moment than most golf moments, most like decisive golf moments mm-hmm. where it's just like, hey, I've got three putts to win it, and here's a lag putt from eight feet, and I'm just going to tap it in and go home. Like that's that's kind of what you get out of golf uh, more often than not. It's not a miracle, which this seemed to be. If you hit a putt from seventy plus feet, if it's the longest putt made in your pro <laughs> PGA Tour career. Like, yeah, that's sort of like miracle stuff. Mm-hmm. And there are like little miracle tidbits, which is very Canadian. Uh, Canadiana was like on an all-time high here. Uh, but it deserved to be because it was one of those all-time moments. It was a where-were-you moment. And I think that's yes. actually important, like how you actually consumed it, what your reaction was. You were definitely pulling for him the whole time, given that you had him in the Fanex Cup. Mm-hmm. But like, I didn't. I had Fleetwood. And I was jumping off my couch with excitement when well, he made I that putt. So, because it's... It is. I don't really Things do are that bigger more than often. our competition, of course. And it wasn't because of that, but like that was a legitimate euphoric Canadian moment on Canadian soil, and a definite where were you moment. And I think this is a great way to segue into the big question that we want to ask today. And I'm sure it's not going to be the only time that it's asked over the next 24 hours. But 
we have been lucky to see a lot of incredible moments in Canadian sports history, whether Olympic-related, national pride-related, team sport, individual sport. So this is the big question, and I'm sure we're going to have a lot of input from the text lines. We're going to open that up at 590-590. Where does this rank in a moment in Canadian sports history? Is it on your Mount Rushmore? Is it the best? Is it top three? We've wrote a couple down in terms of contenders. I wasn't alive for some of the big ones, so I might be jaded in terms of like what is recency bias, but this has got to be on Mount Rushmore for me. We'll have you guys send your texts in at 590-590 of your Canadian sports Mount Rushmore because <laughs> he's got a face on my Mount Rushmore. Yeah, I think it's like it's it depends on how you categorize it though. Like if you're doing Canadian moments, so Canadian on Canadian soil, definitely. Mm-hmm. Like you're only talking about Sidney Crosby, Golden Goal, mm-hmm. and that's a team sport, so you can even go individual. But does it beat Bianca Andreescu at the U.S. Open? Does it beat Donovan Bailey, 96 Olympics? I mean, I think there's a bit of a debate there. But in terms of, like, home soil, Canadian, on Canadian soil, I think you got this, Sid, Brooke Henderson winning the Canadian Open herself. I don't know if there's much after that, so that would definitely qualify as Mount Rushmore. I would say Canadians or Canadian things on Canadian soil would be Jays, probably back-to-back World Series champions. But That's not Canadians, though. Well, it's a Canadian team. Yeah. People will put that's that in That's why there. I kind of like put, I, I think that's a new ca- different category. Yeah, there can be different categories, but like, you know, take your own I, perspective I, yeah, on I don't, it. I don't think you can like really compete with a championship, but again. Because Raptors championship will be one. Jays yeah. back-to-back world championships, world series champions would be one. Obviously, if you were alive for any time, the Maple Leafs won the Stanley Cup. Yeah. That's going to count. Um, those are team-related sports, so maybe you put a little di- a bit of different spin on how you view that. Obviously, Mike, we are winning the Masters. If you're trying to put this in Canadian golf history. Can it beat a Masters win? Can like The Masters are the Masters. It's really hard to beat the Masters. But a walk-off, triple OT win on home soil, 69 years since somebody won the Canadian Open. You're a Canadian doing and, the and playoff. That's, that's it's important. hard to beat. That's important, too, because this has been something that's hung over this tournament for so long. It's not that it's illegitimized it in any way, but it's always been this thing like, oh, why can't we get great champions at the RBC Canadian mm. Open? Like, it was back-to-back Jonathan Vegas. You saw it up cl- close Jonathan and personal. Jonathan Vegas, my like, guy. No, you know, no no offense to Jonathan Vegas, but you're, like, you're not looking for, hey, the person who's going to win the Caribbean Open that follows the BJ mm-hmm. Championship. You're looking for someone A who's going moment. to be, who's going to come back, hold the trophy to massive fanfare. And having Rory McIlroy win it two years in a row is great. I mean, really, really good for the tournament, despite it being cursed with all these announcements happening around the Canadian Open the last mm-hmm. couple of years. But this was bigger. This was like, this was what it's supposed to produce. It's the it's Canada's national championship, and yet a Canadian could not, for the life of them, win it. And there are more Canadians in this tournament than any other tournament that you'll see on the PGA Tour. So the odds should have been over 69 years that, yeah, someone would mm-hmm. finally break break through, especially when the likes of Scotty Scheffler and, and John Rahm don't show up at it. So if you can't have the best field, then you want to see Canadians have success. And it's something that both both have eluded this tournament. And having Rory win a couple times and then having Nick Taylor, a Canadian, do what he did and end Rory's streak, not that Rory was directly involved, Pretty impressive, like really, really big for the tournament, helping legitimize the tournament, helping it go to the next level, helping more Canadians get into golf and making sure that more Canadians are winning events on the PGA Tour like they are this year. Fourth Canadian to win on the PGA Tour just this year alone 
is remarkable. And it says something about Canadian golf. And it it's probably fitting that this year when Canada's players are on such a at such a high level that we finally broke through at the RBC Canadian. Yeah, the context of all of that, the electrifying moment, all the fanfare around it, the entire weekend, the singing of Canada at the rink hole, the way that the Canadian golfers, we can get into more of the moment now. You send your text in at 59590. I'll read a couple. We already got some in there. Um, the Canadian golfers all on the side of the green watching, cheering them on. Like, it's an individual sport. It's competitive. But this is something special. You're going to see your teammate, your buddy, your friend make a moment in Canadian sports history. The fact that a lot of them came back to the course to watch, to be there, to celebrate authentically for somebody that they understood the moment. Adam Hadwin getting absolutely steamrolled Mm -hmm. by security is like one of the funniest things I've seen this year in sports. He... They're on the side of the green. They win. He grabs his big bottle of champagne. He's running out, pops the champagne mid-spray, and this security guard had him locked in his vision. He saw him on one side of Taylor and his caddy, and <laughs> what, like it was like the the reverse, the latest angle of it, where you can see him on one side so and see like the eye contact pass through <laughs> he's, bodies. He's locked he's in on around, Like a linebacker, like the camera's in the mm-hmm. backfield and a linebacker is making its move around blocks. And this guy almost knocked Nick Taylor over, hit yeah. the umbrella that the caddy mm-hmm. was holding and absolutely got both hands locked Underneath the butt pretty of good at, at Adam tackle. Hadwin and tackle, like it was, it was, it was a form tackle. CFL just started. This guy should be trying to walk on. He should on. be. He definitely should. And be. then there's so much good Twitter content. You know, Adam Hadwin takes to Twitter. He's like, "I'm good, I'm good." Like I made it. And his wife's hilarious on mm-hmm. Twitter. And then you know the the bottle. It's like the bottle is now should be in the Canadian Sports Hall of Fame and the cork. And um, anyway, they all had so much fun with it. But just really great to see them there cheering on their Canadian teammate. That moment is so special. Um, that that's kind of, that's what I love about this moment. It was very Canadian. Like Adam Hadwin getting tackled, is and like apologize. He apologized to security like, guard. All of it, yeah, all Canada. of it. All of it is so Canadian because it would only it's there. If it's going to be truly Canadian, it's got to be a little goofy. Like yeah. we're a little the goofy. Whole thing was goofy and like, a little weird. Say, you know, Canada, the wrinkle, like the wrinkle, the tackle, the apologies. The security guard is apologizing right yeah. away. Uh, and just Canadians supporting Canadians is actually a really cool thing. Like everyone being on Nick Taylor's side, mm-hmm. it being a raucous environment for someone that is their own is very, very cool. It must have been a little tough if you're Tommy Fleetwood. But Canadians supporting Canadians has always been a great thing. And that extends beyond the crowd because you're right. Corey Connors hanging around. Mm-hmm. Mike Weir hanging around. Adam Hadwin hanging around. And them being so <laughs> euphoric and so happy. Everyone in that area being so happy was such a cool moment. And it is hilarious that we have the Adam Hadwin footage, that we have the videos, that we have the Twitter commentary, but all of that plus the toonie hole, like it just makes it so mm-hmm. nerdy, so nerdy Canadian, so so much Canadiana wrapped up in like one moment. It is a perfect moment for Canadian athletics. So the toonie hole, if you haven't seen it yet, this is where, you know, obviously we know about the Vancouver Winter Olympics when the similar thing happened, but the guy who sets up the pins on 18 stuck a toonie to the bottom of the hole and look what happened. And I know mm-hmm. this is, it's the little Canadian tidbit that makes the story even better. 
that the guy thought, mm, I'm going to do this thing, and then they win, and flip, we flip over the hole, and there's a toonie there. It's pretty cool. And they played 18 three times. They sure and did. And 18 was, you know, you, if you're going to put a toonie anywhere, 18 makes sense. Mm-hmm. But, like, it could have ended on the other hole, the par three that they played with, you know, I, I mean, there was definitely planning there, but it seems random that you play 18 twice, then one par mm-hmm. three, and then go back to 18 immediately. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, the putt, a, a miracle putt had to with go a in a hole with a toonie stuck to the bottom of it. That's just how it goes in Canadian lore. Um, the call, Jim Nance, we played it coming in, glorious and free. That moment, like this is, these are big iconic sports. You know about that. Big iconic sports calls that we're going to hear a long time over sure. and over again. It's like the golden goals got one. The golden putts got one. Everything has this moment that we're going to see and we're going to hear. And it's going to be replayed for time and time again. Just a really nice touch to have that as well. Let's the moment breathe. You're watching on TV, flabbergasted that this is happening. Just seeing everyone storm the green as well. We're going to have, oh, by the way, we're going to have Adam Stanley on, of mm-hmm. course. Um, he's going to join us at 8. We're going to have Gunner on, who was there, walking around the course, feeling it up close and personal. We'll have him on um, instead of the A-list today, Frank Saravelli at 7 and Will Lou at 8.30. We have so much to go through this morning. It's actually crazy. It's like Monday sometimes it's just like Jays and some updates to playoffs. We've got the biggest golfing moment possibly in Canadian sports. The Raptors finally hire a head coach. You got a Jays weekend that maybe was saved by Kevin Biggio-ish. You have the NHL playoff probably wrapping up tomorrow with Vegas taking a 3-1 lead. There's lots to go through. Um, but I mean, this is this is this is it. Like, it's leading everyone's shows um, on the station today, but we'll take your thoughts at 595.90, um, where this ranks for you. Two more things. Like one quickly on Nance's call. Like, I, I if you gave me, like, endless hours to come up with something probably wouldn't have come up with that like pretty pretty remarkable Mm -hmm. that he nailed it that way uh and coming up with something creative that you know there's going to be what hundreds of canadian writers talking about nick taylor uh over the lot or over the weekend and and into this week and i'm not sure anyone would come up with that for their lead so credit to jim nance i mean that's that's pretty pretty impressive why he's a legend but i do want to talk about one thing that actually happened in the playoff and i call back if you're talking about the grandstand. Yes, yes. So I'm watching oh. that. I and I want to. I want to bring back because we talked to Nick Taylor a couple months ago. Yeah, we did. After he lost, uh, not in a playoff, but in a final pairing with Scotty mm-hmm. Scheffler at the Waste Management, and I asked <laughs> Nick Taylor if PGA Tour players are punished enough for mistakes. Because yeah, like you could hit it in the water. You can. You remember hit it, this? Hit it into the yes. I remember because when I re- we talked to last week. I remember what I asked him if they if they get punished enough because Scotty Scheffler hammered a few off the grandstand and got uh, got to just chip on and uh, he had one shot where he still birdied after an errant errant shot maybe on the big hole. Anyway, it was kind of annoying watching that because Taylor wasn't keeping up with Scheffler, mm-hmm. but Scheffler had the benefit of all these breaks where it seemed like, hey, just slam it in the grandstand. You'll be fine. If I had a grandstand to slam things into, I would, be I would slam it at into the, the grandstand, grandstand and just take the drop and the I'd be fine. Slam. Speaking of grandstand, I hit over the grandstand at whatever. We'll, yeah, we'll get, get to that. To that. <laughs> so I'm thinking when that goes in and he gets a free drop, it's happening again because yeah. Nick Taylor said to us, it'll all even out. And it didn't even out. Like, he's going to lose this tournament because mm-hmm. he's getting a free drop when he hit it into seats. He should be up in the seats he hitting it off He almost murdered that. those people. If you were playing in that in that group, you wouldn't have let me get that free no drop. Way. There's I no way. I would have added five shots. So he gets a free drop, and he's, like, he's he doesn't take advantage of it, I guess. Yeah. Wait, was that? That wasn't on the last hole. No, that was no. on two holes previously. So he I doesn't take advantage of it. I couldn't believe that he ended up. And I'm, like, so mad because I'm, like, he's losing on this. Yeah. He's 100% losing on this, and he said it would, ba- it would bounce in his favor and that he would be the benefit of that 
after he lost the waste management. I thought it was happening again, and I was about to lose my mind because my question was right. And he was, I guess he was wrong because it didn't, it didn't mm. you know, break even. But there's no way Fleetwood should get unpenalized I could not agree for that. More. And I, th- I'm glad justice was served because Nick Taylor deserved to win just based on what he did himself. But that free drop was bogus. The ball went into the stands 30 feet up into people who were buckled, which was hilarious. I picked up the ball, too. Picked up the ball and taking selfies, and I'm like, oh, don't do that. But whatever. They probably don't even remember. But that should not be a free drop. I just, I don't even care if it was Nick Taylor. That ball is out of play. It's in another And it's because they put grandstands up, and that's not the natural course. But, like, I mean, that just seemed, again, we shouldn't belabor the point. It doesn't really matter. But the golf gods, I think that's it. There's hockey gods. He spoke about the golf gods, and I guess in the end, the golf gods did even things up. But it would have been pretty pathetic if he had won uh, with a free grand slam. I keep saying grand slam. Well, there were some grand slams. Tennis talk at Big Grand Slam weekend. Um, But yeah, it would have been a little bit upsetting to see that one not go Nick Taylor's way. So that's huge, huge storyline going into it is. We got to talk to Nick Taylor, so maybe we've got the fan morning show bump. Corey Connor's going to win one maybe sometime soon. We had him on this last week, so. Yeah, maybe it's like a five-month thing, four, yeah. four or five months, in five months removed, yeah. Whatever five months tournament would be by now. Anyway, um, I thought it was really great for the Canadian Open because nobody was talking about Liv. Nobody was talking about the merger. What a wonderful weekend to wrap up. I'm sure Crawdaddy could not be more happy this yeah. morning waking up. What a weekend for him. What a weekend for the Canadian Open. We did get a chance to go on Saturday. Um, definitely wasn't Sunday in terms of the electric no. atmosphere. We, we missed out on I mean, the it was big still good. Oh, I mean, no, no, I know. But we, we Crawdaddy still put on a great I know. Event. I'm just saying we didn't get to see the walk-off no. triple OT win, but we had a really great time. Um, we did get to do the whole zero that we spoke about. Um, we let everybody down. We're, we're kind of embarrassed. So mm. let's just rip through uh, what happened and move on. Are we talking on. about whole zero? Yeah. Just well, I'm a, I'm a moron. Like I'm like, I, I just like went brain dead because I hit a club that I knew was not right. There was kind of like pressure in the like, moment. I, I, was I was watching. So we were, you were doing, you know, you were invited, you're doing some social stuff, whatever. So we're, we're, we're doing content, I guess, while we're there. And I was trying to make a joke about how light hitting I am compared to you. Mm. And I'm like, I, you need a six iron or I need a six iron. You need like a nine. When really I was trying to just like exaggerate the difference yes. between us hitting. When really I needed a seven iron. So I go up there with the six iron you hit and I hit it over the wall. <laughs> that was backing up the hole. So like I didn't get the grandstand drop. They put that wall there to avoid from having to chase the ball exactly. into the actual so golf course. I think I'm probably the only one who hit it over the wall because I just was dumb and picked the wrong club. You had the your own issue. struggles, yeah. I, I was way short, not yeah. even close to the green. There's 150 par three. I had to get two shots to get up to the green. And then I maybe three. No, two shots and I went I went on the green and then guess what? I three putted. Yeah. Surprise. Anyway, we both triple bogeyed par uh, par three, hole zero in front of fans and people watching they had thankfully there were not many people there yeah we were at the end of the day but they had an entire you know they call you up on the on the tee from sutton ontario works for sportsnet alish four bar and you get Mm -hmm. up there they have like real cameras and they've got like a you know system that's tracking your ball and you're up on the it was nerve-wracking and i blew it 
multiple times. They have a real caddy that drives you in the cart to your ball. Mm-hmm. We had to make a couple stops on the way to get mine. And yeah. There was, was a real tough. end of day vibe to it though. Like yeah, I felt like there was, wasn't pressure because I, I, it was actually hilarious. We were trying to like get in this our double good. bogey putts yeah. and they were crowning the champion while we were still. We weren't even we done putting even out. Yet. It was like, you know, Nick Taylor wasn't obviously he hit the last putt of the whole tournament, but like Nick Taylor wins while Rory's still trying to finish his round on 18. That's pretty that much what happened. It was like. So it was embarrassing. There was a guy literally on someone's shoulders celebrating. We have video footage. Adam, Hand- Adam Hadwin style with champagne and everything while we were trying to make yeah. our uh, double bogey putts. I wouldn't even say it was a valiant effort. I would say that we we just, we disappointed. Uh, at least we tied and we could move on and not speak about this again. Yeah. But I will take my moment now to brag about the biggest win in FanX Cup history. We did our picks last week. We both got an opportunity to pick two Canadians, and I said, I remember, oh, I really like Nick Taylor this weekend. So I went Corey Connors, you went... Svensson. Svensson, and then you left me Nick Taylor, and I said, Mm -hmm. good, I really like Nick Taylor this weekend, plus 6,600. So I have taken a very, very dramatic lead in our FanX Cup standings. I have $9,400 to Justin's 2000 So moving forward, you're going to have to think strategy-wise how the hell you're ever going to cover this ground because I'm running away with it, buddy. Well, you can't get it all back with one swing, so I'll just have to chip away. Uh, I don't know what the strategy will be, but uh, I'll think about it before the U.S. Open this weekend. Golf is uh, having a little moment here. Lots of golf talk. Uh, What a great time to kind of lead into that. Canadian Open has a big moment after a tough start to the week with every the drama going on, wrapped it up with a perfect bow. But I'm sure this week we're going to hear more. Now we can get into U.S. Open and there'll be a lot of live PGA talk. There'll be a lot of players that, you know, it's a big field, big names. A lot of guys who weren't in Toronto will be talking. They'll be week. there. Um, as I said, we're going to have Gunnar join us at 6.30 to talk about uh, his experience being there. Adam Stanley at 8. Um, we'll keep taking your thoughts and your texts on the Mount Rushmore moment in Canadian sports. Um, but we got a couple other things to get through before we take a break because I want to make sure we cover some of our bases. Should we do Blue Jays and winners and losers and cover the Raptors now? Yeah, I think so. Um, we'll get into Blue Jays. They're off today, so we have a little bit of time. Um, they're headed to Baltimore for some big continuing with some big games, and then they go to play the Texas Rangers, who are red hot. So Blue Jays got... They just finished 30 games in 31 days, so let's take a little breath. Um, they get a day off. We'll talk more Blue Jays at 7.30 then. Uh, but the Raptors... Hired a head coach. Surprise, surprise. After what, six, seven weeks of waiting, um, lots of names being circulated, a lot of options, a lot of people taken off the board. Both Raptors head coach and assistant coach hired elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Maybe the, I don't know if it was a sleeper pick, the Darko horse. Nice. Our buddy, uh, someone that we really didn't spend much time talking about, um, Darko Ryokovic. Ryokovic. Ryakovich, I think. No, that, that's, Darko, the, that's the tennis version of it. Say it again, then. Darko Ryokovic. Darko Ryokovic. Okay, we're gonna so, get it. No, we got we it. We got it by the end of the day. No problem. Um, Ryokovic. It's not fully been enough, confirmed yet, but it's confirmed by all the insiders that he will be the new Raptors head coach. Now, if you don't know much about Darko, he's had a bit of a, a lengthy coaching resume. Really, he might have to be Darko now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, it's Darko. Darko. Stop, stop thinking about it. Okay, Darko. Let's talk it's Darko. Darko. Darko chat. Yeah. So he's been spent, he spent more than a decade working as an NBA assistant coach. Um, and then he's got a lengthy experience before that. But he most recently was with the Memphis Grizzlies. He was the, the lead assistant coach to uh, Taylor Jenkins. So 
I think this signals a lot about where the Raptors are going. Um, a little bit maybe of a different vibe than just picking up the next available head coach who was fired. We saw that I think four major head coaches were fired that have won championships in like the last six years, right? It was just like, you're out. You didn't get any playoff success. Who's the next guy? And I think it would have been easy for the Raptors to kind of take a big name. They obviously waited a long time to find the right fit. Why mm-hmm. is Darko Ryokovic the right fit? Well, I think that it's signaling that the Raptors want to focus more on their player development. We're going to talk to Will Liu at 8.30, and obviously he's been he's been on the beat of who the Raptors are going to hire as a, as a head coach. There's a lot of information that we had to kind of uncover about him. Um, and what I've gained in my weekend of research is that he's very much into developing young players. He's very highly touted for being able to do that. He's had time in the G League in, ter- in terms of developing players as well. So... Seems like a, a very um, strategic approach for maybe the direction of where the Raptors might go. Yeah, I think it's actually fascinating in that sense because uh, everything that I've read about him is like, yeah, it's going to be uh, that. Yeah, player development is a big thing, but also the different way of looking at it in terms of what the product looks like. Mm-hmm. Like I saw a quote that he's in pursuit of quote beautiful basketball. <laughs> and I don't think the Raptors have played beautiful basketball. God, Even when they're winning awful, a championship, ugly. I don't think it's ever looked beautiful. I mean, I, there are certain teams where it looks beautiful. The Golden State Warriors have certainly played be- beautiful basketball in the last decade. Uh, and that seems somewhat elusive, but it also seems like something that the Raptors really don't have with their own personnel. So I do think it signals some sort of change. I agree. I think it's it's development and it's in pursuit of something specific. And if you have something that's pretty rigid in what it is already, at least it seems like, uh, that means that change is coming, doesn't it? Like this, this coaching hire doesn't scream like, hey, let's do the best we can with what we have or let's try to make some tweaks. That would be, hey, one of the assist- assistants or one of the more tenured coaches that's available given that there have been quite a few firings this year around uh, the NBA. This feels like something where it's a hard reset and you want to do things completely different. And that is, I think, the right way to approach things because Mm -hmm. I do think this franchise is hit a wall. I think it's hit, hit a pretty hard ceiling and I think it needs to change the way it goes about playing basketball and putting a basketball team together. So I'm hoping that this hiring means that, hey, we are looking at everything much differently and I hope that means that, hey, we're going to have a different roster next year. And mm-hmm. we may take a step back here because we want to develop guys and we want to actually bring young players into the system that can have an impact eventually and can build together. I would love to see an organic build. And if anything, uh, this hiring maybe screams is that's possible finally, maybe for the first time in the Masai Ujiri era, because it really has been, hey, let's just kind of, you know, keep a keep a floor get better, put ourselves into position where we can get a superstar in the mix and then try to win a championship. And it seems like, hey, can we do that again has been the the modus operandi for the last five years or so or four years since they won a championship. And this kind of screams hard reset to me. This to me is the very first time I felt like the Raptors have made a decision and still lots to come in terms of the direction that they should go and mm-hmm. they can go. We've been talking about this for decisive. less. Decisive. And it may not be, but it seems decisive. I mean, this is all we can glean is you hire a head coach with clearly a specific skill set, a little bit off the board in a sense of, of bigger names that were available. You don't do that without seven weeks or more of research. And why did you decide to go this route? I think it signals, as you mentioned, 
that they might be making the difficult decisions this offseason. The light has flicked on over the last two months? I think there's something serious about that. I mean, being seeing rumors about Fred Van Vliet maybe finding a different home this offseason. If you're going to go with the younger, youthful team, this is the guy you'd want at the helm, right? So there's still so much to come in terms of roster decisions for for the Toronto Raptors, but... If you've strategically picked this man for this job, I think it signals a lot about maybe what Messiah Jury and Bobby Webster view this next two-year development process. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't run it back. We, I would be disappointed if they had hired... Um, you know, I wouldn't be disappointed. Maybe that's that's a bit... No, you can't. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know if I'd be disappointed if they hired one of these big-name head coaches. I think I'd be probably pretty happy. But if they just decided the same kind of solution to say plug in the same pieces and do the same thing again with an experienced coach that has played with a similar roster like sure maybe that's it but we talked about it all season and at the trade deadline being like are you really good enough to compete so maybe this means they step take a little step back get younger and change their window i like i like how you put it there it's not a did you plug it back in higher it's not like, oh, just like see if it works if you unplug it, replug mm-hmm. it in. This seems different. And it may not be. I mean, it could be a disaster if it's like, hey, let's bring in the development guy and give him no pieces to develop. Like that would be well, an issue, there's right? There's part two to this. So yeah, sure. it seems like, you know, Masai has to now follow through on what it seems like he's trying to do, of course. And you can't really ignore that the Portland Trailblazers apparently dangling that third pick yeah. and the Raptors definitely have pieces that can help there. out. Like it, this is stuff. this is stuff that you can't ignore. But just the last point on him. Apparently a huge basketball nerd, which makes sense given what we just talked about, but also apparently quit playing like really early, like way before you should stop playing basketball. To focus on coaching. Just focus on coaching. Like 16 years old to do this. Like He began his coaching career in Serbia at 16 years old. Speaking of having a moment, Serbia is having a moment. Uh, but yeah, um, doing that so early, it's like that's when you should be enjoying sport even if you're not playing at a high level, just like being a kid, having fun, enjoying playing sports. But he was so laser-focused on this game and being great at this game that he realized at such a young age he was never going to be great on the floor and could be great in a different mm-hmm. way. That's that's pretty intriguing. That's like Dubas early on level <laughs> stuff, right? Where it's like, wow, this whiz kid, right? Hopefully they win something. And I don't know if he's a whiz kid. That's too much to put him on already. But I love that this seems a little bit more inspired than the replug it in higher. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Unplug and rejig. I'm an electrician this morning. I think it's a new appliance. Oh, it is. there you go. Okay, we've got lots to cover today. Vegas up 3-1. Uh, probably going to see Stanley Cup moment tomorrow night we'll get into that uh jay's weekend biggio maybe salvages a little bit of a, a tough weekend for the Toronto blue jays with a late three we're on homer in the eighth yesterday uh we'll touch on all that we've got gunning joining us on the other break other side of the break though we have to hear what it was like to be down on the ground seeing that moment live i know he's mentioned it might be one of the greatest moments he's ever covered in his journalistic career a smile on his face doesn't lie I wish I had been there, but we're going to live vicariously through Brent Gunning on the other side of the break. Sports. Sportsnet 590. The Fan. Back on the Fan Morning Show. It's Monday morning. Hey, we saw Alanis Morissette as well on Saturday night. She's still got it. She's such a... Like, if you blindfolded me... And gave me 
a five second, not even two seconds to recognize a voice, I think Alanis has got to be oh, the easiest. Yeah. Well, the harmonica too. She was a harmonica ing up. When you can still the lean stage. on the harmonica in 2023, you're legit. Yeah, she crushed it. Friday night was Black Eyed Peas. Saturday night was Alanis Morissette. And Sunday, all day, was Nick Taylor. Brent Gunning, co-host of The Golf Show, one of our best, best, best friends, joins us this morning. Gunner, have you even slept a moment? I got to be honest. I got home last night, still pumped. <laughs> uh, I, like, had one of these, like, you know, like, we all do the wake-up sometimes. Like, what time is it? And I looked at my phone, and then there was just, like, text still coming in. <laughs> and I was like, ah, I'm just back into it. I have I barely slept. I am so excited. Uh, what a moment. And for all the folks at Golf Canada and everybody who was mm-hmm. there, man, just incredible. Okay, so walk us through it. You were there all weekend. Um, obviously, you get to be there for the big moment. I, I know you followed, uh, I think, Nick Taylor throughout the day but just that big finale the triple ot the putter flip the tackle like you can just like let us live through you what you experienced what it was like being there with the canadian crowd Okay, so I got to give kudos, first things first, to my fellow golf guy, Sam McKee. Mm -hmm. You know, we're sitting there, we're getting the lay of the land, trying to figure out the plan for the day. And, you know, everyone's everyone's pumped up for Connors. They got that feel. And he said to me, I'm follow Taylor. He's our man today. I can feel it. And so I said, kudos to you. You go follow Taylor. I stood on the first tee, watched the big groups get off, and then I joined Taylor from three on. And it was incredible watching the momentum build, you know, obviously the the big kind of crescendo moment before the ones at the end was him getting to the rink hole. Mm-hmm. They're singing, they're they're singing Oh Canada for him. They're doing the chant uh, that they like for Nick Foles in Philly at him. They're doing that a lot as well. Uh, it was just incredible. And then that's before we even get What's to the, the moment. What's the chant, Gunner? <laughs> uh, I don't think I'm allowed to say. Uh, let, let me, how about this? Uh, if his name was was Richard, it would make a lot of sense. Oh that yeah, yeah, chanting yeah. that. Mm. Yeah, Good. I was just seeing how you'd spin that. You killed it. Okay, keep going. I, th- I thought it was pretty. Good. Well, it's like because I have a best bud named Richard, and he won't go by that, and it kills me. But uh, that's a complete aside for another day. In the in the dead of summer, we don't have this to talk about. Then you go to sixteen. I'm trying to remember sixteen. He has big up and downs. Or mm-hmm. sorry, sixteen. He, he avoids. He, the, doesn't yeah, he bogey sixteen? Bo- he bogeys sixteen, and so then you're sitting there. You're going. Uh-oh. Probably birdie birdie mm-hmm. to get in. And then the walk down 18, you know it's going to be at the very least a birdie look for him. I mean, I, I'm i filming it. The whole gallery's going nuts. Then he makes this incredible putt on 18 to win, but everyone there who was plugged into the leaderboard is saying, okay, he won, but probably a playoff, probably maybe not even a playoff. Fleetwood chokes it away at the end a little bit, and then, okay, here we go. We're we're off into a playoff, and then the back and forth and the swings and the missed putts, quite frankly, by both guys. And then he finally sinks it. Now, I had no idea it was 72 feet. I knew it was a bomb, but I had no idea it was that long. And then, you know, everyone... There was not a rushing of the green because there was, you know, a little different setup this year. But we're all milling about. And I'm just shaking hands with all the Golf (laughs) Canada people you've been seeing all week. Everyone is ecstatic. And then out of nowhere, you just hear, yeah, and Adam Hadwin got tackled. And (laughs) what? What? And then literally you're standing there on the green with photographers and they're like, look at this picture. Look at this. Guys are pulling up the amount of phones on the green of look at this. Look at this right now that you're seeing. It is just truly, truly 
amazing. Like the fact that we were all living in this incredible moment, it was a very 2023 thing to have mm-hmm. all these people pulling out their phones of look at this moment that happened eight feet away that we were boxed out of by the incredible crowd. That is something being in the throngs of it. I'll, I'll never forget. I was there walking with Rory when he won the thing last year, the crowd charged the green. I didn't think it could ever, I won't say better than that. Cause we always knew a Canadian winning would be better than that. But man, this, uh, this this lap that by tenfold what I expected it to feel like just an incredible incredible day. So shaking hands, everyone showing your your phone. Uh, obviously, Hadwin getting tackled in the moments after is like the most memorable. What's the best thing though that you saw in the aftermath when everyone was celebrating and and you're trying to figure out what to do after a Canadian after 69 years finally won this tournament. Um, I have two answers to that. The like the better answer for our purposes of this conversation is Hadwin's caddy just. Or, or sorry, not Hadwin's caddy, Taylor's caddy, just walking around the green with the flag and a <laughs> huge bottle of champagne. That was just incredible. I could not stop snapping pics of that. And then this is a little more inside the game of Canada golf, but, you know, the director of sport, Kevin Blue, this guy is, he was locked in watching Taylor Saturday and Sunday and just seeing the the joy on his face. He's sitting there. He's telling me, yeah, this bottle of bubbly, it's going to the Canadian Golf Hall of Fame because it's mm-hmm. kind of the de facto trophy. Obviously, the trophy always sits there, uh, but th- Taylor's caddy walking around, Canada flag in the pin and the champagne under his arms. That's the thing I'm never going to forget. And then also just Connors, Hadwin, and Weir standing by in jeans and shorts. Golfers without golf clothes always kind of look like dogs on roller skates. So that was just weird (laughs) in and of itself. Uh, And then looking at Mike Weir taking it all in. You know, that, that was a big moment for everybody there. He's kind of the guy who created that, but... That is also like, you know, it's a little weird to say this as I've got my own uh, Nick Taylor Jr., my son, practicing his golf swing behind me. But it's like, it's kind of like watching your son. It's kind of like watching your son do something you couldn't. You know, Mike Weir played in a playoff at the Canadian Open and went to three playoff holes. He lost to Vijay Singh. And you'd be hard-pressed to think that that wasn't going through his mind. It's the duality of life. He's so incredibly happy for Taylor, but how could you not think about that moment and what could have been uh, for, for yourself? You know, uh, I, again, I just I go back to all the people who have been involved in this game in this country for so long. And, you know, I, Brooke Henderson's moment's getting lost a little bit. It was a weird time when she won the Canadian Open, but Sunday, prime time in the biggest city in our country. It's just... Man, it's it's incredible, and I'm still basking in the glow. <laughs> I sound like Taylor. I'm just saying it's incredible over and over again. Well, it, but it, was it was everything. Truly... You got to say everything. If it was, ev- mm. it was, it's true. It's true. And he stole that line from somebody. He couldn't even come up with it himself. There you yeah, go. I mean, one I, day. I think it would be hard because he did author one of the greatest moments uh, in our country's sporting history, uh, and you were there to witness it. So he's obviously the biggest winner. But who's next? Like, who? What benefits? Who benefits? Like, who does this mean almost as much? Uh, two as Nick Taylor, like what, who really like, is the RBC Canadian open, you know, launch into outer space based on this? Like who really, really benefits from this moment? I think you have to look at it as golf in Canada. And I don't think there's a one stakeholder that is going to benefit in the next outside of Nick Taylor in the next, you know, three years, five years from this. It is incredible that the monkey is off the back. And for the first time in nearly 70 years, a man was able to do it. But 
if anything, you know, I'm not going to say it takes away from the buildup to it because now you have Taylor looking to defend his title and all that, but that's been done. The thing has been ticked off the box. So I don't know that it adds a boon for the RBC Canadian Open. I think the I think the tournament has become a winner because of all the incredible finishes you've got at the tail ends of the of the last seasons. But when you when you look at what happened at the tournament or the winners that are going to come out of it, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be golf in Canada because how can you see a moment like that? And you know I don't want to overstate it that you know a hundred thousand kids are going to run out there in the rain and go pick up their sticks and and go try to be the next Nick Taylor, but. A couple are, and I just I think a moment like that having it, it it's it's impossible to overstate what it can do. You know they have a goal to have thirty pros on the PGA and LPGA tours by twenty thirty, and you know maybe it's a little too late to help with that, but thirty five forty it's only going to boost the numbers. So just an incredible moment for Canada golf. They're far and away the biggest winners out of this. We're talking to Brent Gunning, uh, one of the golf guys, of course, who was down there live at Oakdale all weekend and got to see one of the greatest moments in our sporting history. And you're you're saying it's great for the the next generation. I can hear little little boy going <laughs> over the time, background. Man. Sorry, yeah? I'm sorry, no, 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 no. I think it's actually really special. Like, and 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 not to to go back on an exact same point, but you but you're right. It is about you know the next generation. I don't know. Golf isn't always the the sport that we're all tuned in on the weekend, but it felt like the entire country was watching what Nick Taylor was doing. People I don't I know that don't even care about golf were texting me like, "Are you watching the golf, the golf stuff?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm watching the golf stuff." Like it, it just felt like a huge uniting moment. And you're right, you know, you got a little kid in the background playing golf. Like it's it's really sweet to see. Um, but why was it Nick Taylor? Because you know, all all week we're talking Corey Connors, Corey Connors, his moment. But I don't know how many people were. You know, given Nick Taylor his moment, um, and he earned it. But, like, what was it about Nick Taylor this weekend long, especially with the way he started? And then he had the course record, you know, a day later. Like, how did he – was he able to pull this out? Um, maybe against some of the odds that was stacked against him. Yeah, very uh, very slight asterisk on that course record because uh, this right. course was created this <laughs> week. I know, I laughed week. at that, too. I'm like, uh, yeah, well, anyone there... was shooting the course record. <laughs> well, it's also – the good thing is is that the course record will now for sure stand uh, yes. until the next time they play it because nobody gets to play it in, in that <laughs> order. Um, you know, the – I, I got to be honest. I made my quip about the course record, and I forgot what your question was. I'm still just like just... why it was Nick Taylor's moment. Oh, okay, not, yes. You know, okay, Corey so Connors you, you look at Connors, and look, he's had the he's had the scar tissue before, and a lot of times you'll say you need scar tissue to win, but sometimes scar tissue prevents you from doing things. And you know, when Taylor was looking so dialed early on in that round, I said to my fellow golf guy, and I'll sneak in a plug: we'll have an emergency pod yes. out la- later today. Perfect. I said to him. You just feel so much better about this being Taylor than it you would if it was Connors. And, you know, I, I would feel a kind of similar way about it if it was Adam Hadwin. He was really locked in. Unfortunately, with Corey, we have just seen so many versions of this movie before where mm-hmm. he's right there in the mix and he just can't seem to get it done. With Taylor, he had everything going today. And I think that he doesn't quite have the high, high, high-end ball striking that Connors has, but he just has a little more well-rounded game. And, you know, we see that all the time in sports that, yeah, you can do one or two things elite, but what's the well-rounded game? Like, is the, is it the strongest link of the chain or the weakest link that makes it? And Taylor just didn't have a lot of weak links. And, you know, I think he's helped a lot by the fact that the guy who's in that playoff with him, Fleetwood, he's had a lot of moments where he hasn't come, come through in the clutch either. So I think for Taylor, it was mentality is the biggest thing, you know, just watching him, following him so closely, 
he was barely blinking. He did a walk and talk interview on the 14th hole, that was and crazy, that even eh? didn't didn't phase him. He said he agreed to do it yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, and then stu- or agreed to do it on the Saturday. Was supposed to do it on the Saturday and stuck with it. The, the fact that that didn't flap him uh, just kind of tells you everything you need to know about what he had going on uh, yesterday. So that's why I think it was Taylor. Was the fact that it was just a really really well rounded game. You know, probably if you look at every other marquee Canadian, there's maybe a thing that they do better. You know, Mac Hughes has the knack for the long bomb putt, although I don't think we could say that after a 72-footer for Eagle. <laughs> Taylor Pendrith and Corey Connors, there's the guy who those are the guys who really, really bomb it. And Connors is always the best iron player, but Taylor's just kind of a, you know, a mix of those, and he doesn't quite have the high-end level, but there's really no weak part in the game, and there definitely wasn't uh, yesterday uh, outside of some squirrely moments at the end, but that's uh, that, that's the weight of the country getting to you. That's not your golf game. So yeah, but it's, 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 it's a decent spot to be in, though, because if everything's clicking, you can contend, and he contended earlier this year at the Waste Management, and now, of course, wins the RBC Canadian Open, so it definitely uh, works for him. Uh, did it work for him that it was Tommy Fleetwood in the end in this in this playoff with him we know Tommy Fleetwood's history he can't get it done himself uh I I think you know I kind of answered my own question a little bit there but just your comment on that but also how hard it was to be Fleetwood in that moment like was it difficult for him to overcome that crowd was the crowd difficult on him was it fair I mean the the free drop wasn't necessarily fair (laughs) uh but like how was Fleetwood's reality compared to Taylor's reality and was that the right opponent for Taylor in the end there's definitely something to it being the right opponent but let's not forget on the first playoff hole Fleetwood nails and absolutely nails downhill I was I was talking with one of the one of the guys who caddies at the club there and he's telling me how tough that putt is (laughs) and Fleetwood just nails it to really put the pressure on Taylor who kudos to him he answered they go play 18 again and seven hours after that Taylor's your your Canadian Open champ so there's a little something to that with with Fleetwood being the kind of right guy in that spot for for Taylor but I think the other thing you also have to look at with it is that is that he did make that big putt Uh, so it wasn't just a case of him handing it to Taylor they, quite frankly, they took her turns handing it to each other before Nick uh, just ripped the thing out of his hands. In terms of the crowd reaction, don't get me started on that free drop. It's the dumbest rule in golf. Yes. Yeah, it's a temporary removal of obstruction. It's only been there all week and in the entire, <laughs> forget all week, it was there when I played the course like a month ago for media day. So the idea of, oh, gee, who could have foreseen this stand <laughs> being there? Better give him a free drop. It is a dumb rule everywhere in golf. It was a dumb rule yesterday. And then lastly, just on the way the fans kind of treated him, reacted to him. I was really curious to see how that was going to go. It was uh, about 25% Ryder Cup with cheering for missed shots, but the nice Canadians we are, we couldn't help ourselves from also cheering from great Fleetwood shots, like the amount of begrudged, ah, oh, that's great, that's great, Tommy, uh, and a big hand he, he was getting there. So I, I think it was a good crowd, very Canadian, and that they were cheering the misses. They were happy about that, uh, but still giving him his due uh, when he came through. And then, again, Taylor, 72 feet for that's Eagle. Crazy. Incredible. Um, I'm, I'm so happy you got a mo- uh, an opportunity to experience that moment, Gunnar. I know you've got to cover a lot of golf or be around a lot of golf, but you said it. that's going to be uh, one that you never forget. So thanks for coming on this morning. Uh, go, uh, go get that kid ready for his chance at the uh, Canadian Open in a couple of years, all right? Yeah, I think uh, I think like twenty and thirty-seven, yeah, something like that. I'm already looking at the odds. Okay, I'll be putting I'll... a futures bet on them. All right, sounds good. I might want to might want to jump in on that. So we'll we'll <laughs> do that together. Uh, thanks so much. And thanks, again, uh, emergency golf show pod uh, coming later today. Perfect. We'll Sammy. be sure to to tee that up later as well. Thanks, Gunner. Chat soon. Take care.
Brent Gunning. Uh, what a what a really really cool moment for him. One of many celebrating around the 18th green. Yeah, we uh, we were there Saturday as you mentioned. A little bit different, a mm-hmm. little different vibe. But we even struggled with that. Like he's an expert. He knows how to follow guys around. Yeah, we, he knows what he's tips. doing. It was like Sam Sam has that great idea and they execute it. We had so many ideas and we executed none of them. We were rookies. They're they're yeah. vets. They're pros. Uh, okay, we'll talk lots more golf today. Um, we'll have. Our buddy Adam Stanley on at 8 o'clock, who, of course, was there all weekend long. He got a, a, to talk to Nick Taylor after he won. So we'll get kind of like just like the vibe. Like, how do you even put words together if you're Nick Taylor? He struggled, but I don't blame him. Uh, Frank Cervelli joins us over the break here. Um, looks like could be the end of the line for Florida tomorrow night. Vegas obviously has the opportunity to win on home ice. Do we see the Stanley Cup lifted tomorrow night?